Today's daf is daf tzadi. We are holding at the Mishnah at the bottom of Pei Tesamad Beis. Zog de Mishnah. Shnei gitin ushtek suvays. So we have a situation. The woman comes to Beis Din, and she has two gitin, which means that she was married twice to the same fellow, and there are two ksuvas. So now, in this case, that it's what the implication is is that there was one divorce which there was a ksuva attached to that marriage, and then there was a second divorce, and there was a ksuva attached to that marriage. So So in this case, there for sure is going to be the collection of two ksuvas. Either we're going to see later on, you technically don't have to write a second ksuva for the second marriage if she didn't collect the first one. But over here, the husband did want to give her a new ksuva for the second marriage, and he did, which gives her the right now to collect both the first ksuva for the first marriage, the second ksuva for the second marriage. However, if there are shnei ksuvas, veget echod, which means that here, even though there is a, there is one, one get, right? And there are two ksuvas. Now we're going to see what the, where the, uh, uh, in, in this case, it happens to be that the date of both ksuvas are uh, pre, pre-date the, the get. So it's mashma that both ksuvas were written on the, in the same marriage, and there's one get. So we're going to see Allah is over here. She only gets to use one of them. Now, the Mishnah doesn't stipulate which one, which the Gemara is going to infer. It's mashma she can use either one, whichever she pre- prefers. And we'll discuss that in the Gemara. Now, let's say here it is clearly there were two marriages. Unlike the, first, the case we just had before, which is one marriage with two ksuvas, here is two gitin, which means there were two marriages. Obviously, he married her once, gave her a get, married again, gave her a get. But only one ksuva was written. Right? So in, in this case, and, and that ksuva, Rashi says, was written before the first the marriage ended. So he relied on that same ksuva for the second marriage. So even though normally when she produces a get, she's allowed to collect a ksuva with it. In this case, she's, she's not collecting two ksuvas because only one ksuva was written for, the, uh, for, for both marriages. She collects only one. Ay ksuva get vamisa. So here she shows up with Iksuva. She shows up with a get, and she also has a dim that her husband died. Right? So what's the aloha over here? So he wrote Iksuva, and then he divorced her. He remarried her without writing a new Iksuva, and then he died. Right? And what she wants to do, she wants to collect two ksuvas. Why does she want to collect two ksuvas, right? One, for being a divorce from the first marriage, which and the other one for uh, uh, being widowed, right? So she wants to get, uh, for being a, becoming a widow from the second marriage, so she wants to get a... Uh, a, 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 a ksuva for that as well. Now, obviously, she must have ate him, not just that the husband died, but that she had remarried 
and that he died. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's still the same case as the previous one. It's like one ksuva and two get. Just this case, second marriage ended with a get, it ended in death. And in this case, she can only get one ksuva. So even though there clearly have been two marriages, but fact is that only the first ksuva was written for the first marriage, and now the second marriage was relying on the first ksuva, you don't have to pay out two ksuvas. If a person divorces his wife and she did not collect right away the ksuva, and then he remarried her, we say is, He takes her back based on the first ksuva. There's no need to rewrite a new one, but the point is she only collects once. Now, obviously, if she already collected her first ksuva, then at that point you can't say, well, he's relying on the first one. At that point when he remarried her, so, so she, if she cashes in, she cashes in. If she doesn't cash in, then, and there's only one ksuva that's been written, he could write a new ksuva again, like that's the first case of the Mishnah, where there are two ksuvas written, one on the first marriage, one on the second, and then she can cash in on both. But if she didn't cash in on the first one, and there was no second one written, then it is perfectly okay for him to say, I just shifted over that ksuva from the first marriage to the second marriage, and there's only one payout that is required. Yes. All right. Now, the Gemara is, uh, even though it doesn't tell us it's doing this, but Rashi tells us, is switching to case number two, where there was only one ksuva being, uh, one, 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 one ksuva payout. So the case over there was two ksuvas, one get. And the two ksuvas were written before that get. So obviously what happened was the father, the husband, at an earlier date wrote ksuva A, and at a later date wrote ksuva B, and then divorces her. So she comes to court with both ksuvas and the get. It says she can only collect on one of them. Now the language of the Mishnah was written as such, she can only collect with one of them. It doesn't say specifically which one, which the implication is, she gets to choose which is the one that is more beneficial. Now bear in mind, an earlier ksuva always will have one aspect of it that trumps the later one. Because the date creates the mortgage. The mortgage of the earlier one starts earlier on the, for the encumbered properties than the later one, right? So it says like this, that she can collect with either one. So what it says that this Tanoic implication would refute the position of If you have two documents, all right, it could be either IOU or it could be either way, but they're on the same event. Clearly on the same event. One is earlier, one is later. Betel Shein is Arishon. He holds that the second one, the fact that the second one was written and accepted, it wipes out the mortgage that was created by the first one. And you have to go with the second one. If you didn't want it, you shouldn't have accepted it. But the fact that you have it you, means you accepted it from the person who wrote it. It could also be a transaction. It could be a sale. It could be an IOU. But the fact that you accepted the second one, by definition, means 
that you were meichel on the shibud created by the first one, which lechora that is contradicted by the implication of our mishnah, because our mishnah never said the second ksuva is the one that you have to go with. Which means you could even go with the first one, which means we don't automatically assume the second one's mevatel the first one. Takasha on on Shmuel, how could Shmuel be arguing with our mishnah? So the says that's not a problem. Lav itmara law because we already have. A clarification was given by Rav Papa to explain Rav Nachman Amr Shmuel. Rav Nachman Amr Shmuel said, when do we say that the second document automatically negates, negates the mortgage that was created by the first one? He says that's only if there were no changes, there was no, no financial benefit added to the second one. Nothing was added. It wasn't more money. It wasn't more that there wasn't, wasn't a great amount of property. It wasn't a greater. There was nothing added. In such a case, apples to apples, all things being equal, why did you accept the second one? So then clearly what? The acceptance of the second one negates the first one. However, says Rav Popo, that Moider of Nachman, of Nachman will agree that we don't automatically assume the second one negates the first one, the Osef Beidiklo, that if the writer of the second document added even one palm tree, means, means he sweetened the deal, he made something more financially beneficial in the second document, so the Tosefes, so, uh, 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 so therefore, the Tosefes Kasve, the purpose of writing the second one wasn't there to negate the Shebud bride created the first one, it was to entice the person that if you accept and would go with the second one, there'll be a more of a financial payout, there'll be a benefit to it. But in such a case, it's, it's the choice of the recipient, which one they want to go to, because each one now has a benefit. You go with the second one, the, the, the deal is sweeter. You go with the first one, the mortgage is earlier. So in such a case, we don't automatically assume that the acceptance of the second document is a negation of the first one. So therefore, our question we ask, that our Mishnah implies you can pick either one, implies that the acceptance of the second one doesn't negate the first one, that's a kasha and Rav Nachman Amr Shmuel, because Rav Nachman Amr Shmuel said that the second one negates the first one. No, because Rav Papa explained, Rav Nachman was saying, is that only when it's apples to apples, there's no benefit of accepting the second the second one. In fact, it's hurting you to receive the second one, because that's where we say the second one negates the first. But if there was even one deck or one palm tree, means that the, that was, the deal was sweetened by accepting the second one, in such a case, we don't automatically say the second one negated the first one. We'll say the reason why the person accepted the second one, because he wants to make it better. Either one's beneficial for him. He's got to decide which is the greater benefit. Therefore, if that's the case, then we'll go back and explain our Mishnah as well. Our Mishnah, why do you have a choice to pick each one? Because the second Ksuva was a greater amount than the first one. And that's why the Isha was given that second one. It's more money. But the more money is there, if you're going to go with the more money, that's the case where what? If you accept the second one, then it'll negate the first one. But it doesn't preclude her saying, you know what, I'm, being, I'm willing to forego on more money. I'd rather go with the Shebut of the first one. She has the right to go ahead and do it. So therefore, there's no contradiction. Let me just finish. So what it says, in our case too, but to the Isifle, 
it's talking about where the second suva was added to the first. To, to, there was, it was an addition of money added over the first ksuva. Yes. If he wrote a second ksuva that was exactly the same, we said the second then you Then you would have no choice. The second one, with the fact she accepts the second ksuva trumps the first one. She's not accepting it. Yeah, no, I mean, the, she's the one presenting it. She's coming to base, and she obviously accepted, right? So what's this like this? Tan Rabbana, we learned ENA Braiso. Haitzia get the ksuva. Vemiso. So the case over here was she shows up in based and she has a get, she has a ksuva, and she also has a dim that shows that she remarried the, the husband a second time and he died, which is usually also a triggering event for a ksuva if she so chooses. All right? Now, she wants what she's saying is the first. The ksuva, the first ksuva, was really my right to collect for the first marriage. Now that he remarried me and we have Adim, I should be allowed to collect a second ksuva based on the Adim that he died. So Moses says like this, let's look at the date in the get, because that's going to be important. Now, im get kaidem l'ksuvoso, it's true that if the get pre, uh, predated the, uh, uh, the, 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 the ksuva, so in such a case, so then, so the get, the get, he wrote, a, that means that he wrote a new ksuva for the second marriage. We learned earlier in the Perek that a woman, in order to collect her ksuva, only has to produce her get. Because if they would actually have already paid out her ksuva, they would tore, have torn it up. So she has a right to say, I lost my ksuva, here is the get. Here she has the right to say that as well. Ah, you're showing a ksuva, but this ksuva is dated after the get. So clearly this ksuva that was written was not written for the first marriage. And based on the get, she can collect ksuva for the first marriage. So in such a case, Govish takes ksuvos, she will have a right to collect two ksuvas. One for the triggering event of the death of the husband. The first one for the triggering event of the get. Right? Even though she's only showing us one, but a get alone has the right to able to collect her ksuva. Now, however, ksuvasa kodemus get, but let's say the ksuva that she produced, which is the case we had in our Mishnah, really was predating the get. So now, even though there were two marriages, because ksuva, get, marriage, miso, she still wants to have two getin. Right? Because she's claiming that suva should only be used for the first marriage. I remarried, which should trigger a second suva. No, no. In such a case, she can only collect one suva. Why can she only collect one suva? Because a Megarish is Ishto, if a person divorces his wife and she did not cash out on that first suva and he remarries her, what do we say happens in such a situation? Is that it is all based on that first suva and she's not able to cash out more than one time. That one suva suffices for both marriages. Quick question on the get, the, the get, the, uh, the first kid, get the, the, the suva. 
How do we know how much to pay her for the first Base, base. You have Manama sign. That's the most she can do. She can't bring a ra unless she asks for the just not to Sephus, she can't ask for her. Like we said, only that's unless she can't ask for more than we what the base is. Now, let's go to the next mission. You have over here a cotton Sheseo Aviv, a father married off his son when he was a minor. Now that marriage, both on a Torah level and on a rabbinical level, has no basis, has no standing. Because the only thing the Torah gives a, a, for a minor is he can marry off his daughter. Can't marry off his son. So technically, that was a, that was a sham, right? However, this boy and this uh, girl, this woman, lived together until he became an adult. And then he continues to have physical relations with her, right? And all that was written was that original ksuva, which Lachora was on a sham marriage, right? Ksuva kayemis. Since no new ksuva was recorded, the understanding is that this boy, when he becomes a man, his intent was that I just want that ksuva, although when it was written was not binding or effective, but now I want it to carry over the Chiddushis. It carries over, that Ksuvah carries over for the new marriage, which is a marriage derisa, if he continues to live with this woman. Clear, clear what's going on here. So therefore, Shalmanaz came Kima, because it was based on that Ksuvah that he continued to uh, maintain his relationship with her. Similarly, let's say a, 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 a non-Jew is married to a non-Jew. So you have a man and a woman that are not Jewish, that are married, and for whatever reason, right, he likes this idea of ksuva, she likes this idea of ksuva, and they wrote a ksuva, kedas v'kedin, following all the Jewish requirements of a ksuva, even though that's a sham. Why is it a sham? Because there is no concept of Torah-based or even rabbinical-based ksuva, but then they both converted. Maybe they knew they were going to convert, and they converted, and they continued to live together as husband now, even though the original marriage, Minah Torah, has nothing to do with it, because Gershon is Gar, Kakar, Janola, it's like they become new, new human beings when they convert, but since they continue to live together, that now becomes... When it consummated, that becomes the new marriage. But they never wrote a new ksuva. What's the Chiddush? The Chiddush over here is, we say that what he and she had in mind was that that original ksuva, although written under false pretenses, can now carry over and be the ksuva for the new marriage. Which is a Chiddush. Because in both cases, it was written on a sham. So what is this like this? So we have pretty much the same concept applying that even though original play, we don't say it's like just, it's, it's like a chasba almost like a shard. No, it, you have the ability to bring it over and now use it as a functional document. Says so it more like this. There is a machlokas amoyroyim over here. That at the end of the day says that it was a shard. 
Ravuna holds it was a shard. It was written on a sham. The most that you can use that ksuva for is for the base rabbinical responsibility of mana and messiah. But any additional perks, any additional amounts that were written in at that time when it was written under false pretenses, that cannot carry over and therefore the woman cannot demand anything more then the base suva of Mana Masayim, she cannot demand the Tosefes. The Tosefes ain't law. Rabbi Yehuda Amr, Rabbi Yehuda disagrees. This is a field of Tosefes yesh law. He says the whole concept over here is that, that the suva carries over. If you're not learning that the suva carries over for the full effect of the suva, then what is the Chiddush over here? Mana Masayim, everyone owes Mana Masayim. Even without the document, you owe Mana Masayim. So therefore, obviously, when, when the Mishnah says it carries over, what does it mean it carries over? It means even the Tosefes as well is carrying, carried over. So Mona says Mesevet. Mona has a question now on the position. The one is trying to refute the position of Rabbi Yehuda. It says as follows. Chitshu, right? Let's say that either party over here, either it was the, the, the cotton or the, uh, the, 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 the ger, the guy that became a ger, added an addition. They added an addition to the existing suva, right? They didn't write a new ksuva. They just added in an addition, right? What's the halacha? Noiteles masha chitshu. Under that circumstance, she can collect what was added because what was added now is in, in a derisa acceptable marriage. Now, the Gemara's understanding of the question is implies that chitshu refers to litosephus. Meaning the chitshu means I'm adding more to them to the base. It's mashma though, that's what it means. The only time she can collect the tosefes if it was added once it became a mandated marriage. But it's mashma that if the tosefes was added earlier, she would not, which is a kasha on Rav Yehuda, because he learns that she collects even the tosefes from before. Right, that's more kasha. Chitcha in its mashma, the addition is only added when it was added now. But but if it wasn't added now, i.e. it was added previously, then she would not be able to collect on the Tesephus. Someone says, no, that's not the way to understand the Mishnah. Meaning, the way you're asking the question of Yehuda, that's not the way to understand. What you can say is like this. When it says if anything was added, she can collect what was added. It doesn't mean, but if it wasn't added, she can't get the Tosefes from before. It means she can get what was added in a, above and beyond the Tosefes from before. But the Tosefes from before, for sure she can collect. So therefore, don't, you're, you're, you're reading into the words to create a kasha, a refutational position. Yehuda, you don't have to do that. So when it says like this, she collects an addition, she collects what was in the gate, addition to what? Not an addition to the modern Messiah, addition to even the Tosephus she's able to collect. You can't ask me the refutation. So when it says like this, however, it says the one like this, we have Brysa number two that is a lot more, uh, trans, uh, has a lot more uh, details to it, which clearly shows you that the way you wanted to deflect the caution of Yehuda is not a valid way of deflecting. Because what does Brysa number two say? Says Chitshu, it says if either the cotton upon becoming a godel or the guy upon becoming a ger added a new amount, an additional amount to the ksuva, no tell us, Masha Chitshu, she collects that addition. But, Loi Chitshu, if nothing was added 
when the marriage became mandated de raisa, then the basula can only give him a siyam and the almana can only collect the mana. Then it goes back to base ksuva. Implies that what? That even if a tosefis had been written earlier, you don't have a right to collect it, which therefore that is a refutation on the Amora Mera. So Tiyufta Drav Yehuda Tiyufta. It's a refutation of Yehuda. Tosefis over here explains, very interesting, he says like this, the Chorah, it's a little difficult to understand. So what's the Chiddush? What are you using the earlier ksuva for? If all you can collect with the early ksuva is mana masayim, which every woman has a right to mana masayim, so what's the, what's the chiddush that that carries over until the new mandated marriage? What, what, what's the chiddush of that? So Taisvah said, beautiful, he says, because now that the marriage is mandated to rice, at this point she's no longer a basula. So you could argue that she cannot demand the 200 zoos because the 200 zoos at the time was a, was, it was a, a sham. Now she's no longer. The Chiddush is that carries over and she's still allowed to collect the 200 zoos. That's, that's the Chiddush over here. So what it says like this. So it says the Gemara that what was, why did Rabbi Yehuda uh, make the mistake even though at the end he becomes, he's, he's refuted. Rabbi Yehuda Matnisi he was tricked. He was fooled by our Mishnah. Why? Because who saw when it says Ksuvasa Kayemes, the Ksuva is intact. So he understood what does it mean the Ksuva is intact? Fully intact. Fully intact implies that even with the Tosefis, right? So therefore, Kulug Milsakai on the entire Ksuva, Velohi, that's not what it means. What's intact is the Monomasaim is intact. But the Tosefas, unless a new Tosefas is added when this becomes a mandatory, when it becomes an acceptable derisa marriage, otherwise the, the Tosefas cannot be collected. So therefore it goes like here. It's going on the primary Ksuva, on the Monomasayim, and not on the, uh, the, the Tosefas. Hadran Allah HaKaisa L'Ishtar, Hadran Allah HaKaisa L'Ishtar, Hadran Allah HaKaisa L'Ishtar. Ezra Mizbarov, we are now beginning the 10th Perek of Meseches Ksuvis. Misha, Zakti Elega Mishnah, Misha Yonosu Shtei Noshim, a person was married to two women, all right? Now the mace, and then he dies, all right? Now, the situation over here was, there was not an abundance of assets. There was a limited amount of assets. Now bear in mind is that each wife, because he predeceased the wife, so each wife has properties mortgaged to her suva. So Shiloh over here, if there's not enough assets, which wife has the right to demand Ksuba be paid out to her first because she is considered to be a creditor. So it's like we have in mortgages today. There's a first mortgage, there's a second mortgage. Obviously, the earlier Ksuba has the first mortgage, the later Ksuba is the second. So first, the earlier mortgage gets paid out. If there's anything left over, then the second mortgage can kick in. But you can't go out of turn, right? The Chora. So it says, the first wife's uh, ksuva, which is her mortgage on the property, comes before the second one, even if it means that what's going to end up happening over here, the second one will not be able to collect because there's not enough assets. Now, similarly, now, how to cop over here? The case is very important. The husband died. 
automatically that means once a husband predeceases the wife, her mortgage kicks in. Now, even if she will die, so her children, her children inherit her. When they inherit her, they also inherit her mortgage, which means the same halacha is that she, wife A, uh, has a mortgage that precedes wife B's mortgage, the children of wife A, who are inheriting the mother's mortgage, also their mortgage will precede the Yorshim of wife B. Or even if wife B is still alive, it'll still precede because they take, they step into the shoes of the first mortgage of the wife. So therefore, the Yorshim Rishona also codemen the Yorshim Shnia. It's the Shnia and to the Yorshim Shnia. Now, now we're going to switch it up a little bit. Nasas Arishona, let's say the person married the first wife, but in this case, she predeceased him. Now, once she predeceases him, he inherits, he becomes the owner. That mortgage is forfeited. That mortgage is done, right? Now, there is an instrumentality that the Chachamim established, the mortgage Lachora, that is a debt, the Raisa, assuming she would have the Raisa, it's a machlogos, but it is a much more powerful instrumentality than the following. The, 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 the Chachamim to encourage that fathers should give maximum dowry to their daughters made a special halacha that was called Ksuvas Bnin Dichrin, the uh, the the uh, ksuva of the male children, and basically the way it works is as follows: the the case scenario where for sure it applies. We're going to see machlokas, but in this weird case, let's say a person marries husband A, I mean a wife A, and a person then marries wife B. Now, wife A brought in a million dollars for her ksuva, wife B only brought in a hundred thousand dollars of ksuva. Now, once the two wives predecease the husband, right? So then the husband now, let's say he's got $2 million of assets, he gets it. When he dies, his children, he's got a children from wife A and children from wife B, Minatoro should be splitting 500,000 and 500,000 to the two, all right, amongst the, right, if let's say there's one son from each marriage. However, the, the fathers who gave the dowry would be upset because why should my son whose mother had a, a, a million dollar, right? I mean, it was a million dollars each, it was a two million dollars. Why should he only be getting half of the exact Yerusha when the, then a, a major part of the Yerusha of his father was the dowry that we gave? So they, correct, they connected, they put something called Suvaz ben Dichrin. Suvaz ben Dichrin means that even though the mortgage was wiped out with the death of the mother, they made him, we're gonna see, the way it works like a Yorish. He becomes an inheritor to inherit specifically first his mother's ksuva, and once he inherits the mother's ksuva, only then do we divide up the Yerusha. So in this case, what would end up happening, both wives predeceased the husband, the husband died. First, each one would inherit their mother's ksuva. He gets the million dollars, he gets the $100,000. Left is the $900,000. They would split equally the $900,000. That's the way it works. Now, 
but it's a lot less powerful than collecting through a mortgage. Because you're not collecting through a mortgage, you're collecting through an inheritance. So right. basically, whatever the mother brought in yeah. to the marriage right. goes to her children upon the death, upon the death of, the father. of the father. And, and it goes, it stays in the ketubah, like whatever was brought in. Right. Now, and that, that's the way it normally works. When, when both parties are collecting their mother's ksuva as an inheritance, right? Now we're gonna see, over here it's a little different. Let's see what happens over here. Nasser Zarishona, he married wife A, Vemais, which means now the husband inherited her ksuva, right? Nasa Shnia, he married the second wife, but now, when he married the second wife, he predeceased the second wife. Now let's speak this out. Let's speak it out. The law of Ksuvas Benendichrin doesn't apply anymore to the second uh, wife's children. Why? Because their claim to their mother's Ksuva is not coming because of the rabbinical takana of Ksuvas Benendichrin. Their claim to their mother's Ksuva is coming because we step into our mother's shoes. And therefore, since the husband predeceased our mother, right, he already owed her the ksuva as a mortgage, not as a ksuva's been indifferent. He never inherited our mother, right? In fact, now our mother dies, we have, an, it's like a, we're, we have like creditors, we have an IOU on the estate. So now you have a situation like this. The first, uh, the first wife's children have a right to their mother's ksuva as the rabbinical takana of ksuvas ben indichrin. The second wife's children, they have a right to their mother's ksuva not because of ksuvas ben indichrin. They have a right to the mother's ksuva is because there's an open debt that is mortgaging the property that is a right to be collected. So even though in the first case of the Mishnah, we said that if there's a, there is a, a, a first wife and a second wife, or children of the first wife, second wife, children of the second wife, in such a case where the husband predeceased, uh, where the husband predeceased uh, uh, both, right? They both came with the equal power of Yorish. I mean, not the Irish, of, of mortgage. They both came with, we have a mortgage. Then the, the, the mortgage, the earlier mortgage, supersedes, takes preference over the second mortgage. Even if there's not enough assets, it'll wipe out. You want, right? In this case, there is only really one mortgage. The mortgage that is open is the second children's mortgage because the father had not inherited the wife because he predeceased the wife and therefore she had an open mortgage that goes to her children. The first wife's children only have a claim that we inherit. We inherit the estate. The Chorev, they only have a right to say we inherit the estate if there's enough assets to go by, then the second ones collect their mortgage, split it up, and then they collect. But they don't have a right to say because our mother's ksuva was earlier than your mother's ksuva, they don't have a right because what happened to the first wife's ksuva? 
It was wiped out. When was it wiped? When their wife, when their mother predeceased the husband, it was wiped out. Their only right to collect now is because of Tzuvah's Ben Dichrin. That doesn't give them a stronger hold than the second children over here because they're not coming to collect their mother's Tzuvah because of Tzuvah's Ben Dichrin. They're coming to collect their mother's Tzuvah is because there's an open mortgage, an open eye on the assets. And that's the rule over here. So Nazar Zarishona the Mesa. In this case, the second wife, is she still alive? Or if she now dies, her inheritance, they will precede the first Yorshim, because the first Yorshim are not coming because of the mortgage, they're only coming because of the inheritance that they have, that part of the estate now is, is, is sectioned off for their inheritance. But the Shibud wipes out, is, it pr- trumps the... In, in, oh, right. Well, that's what the Gemara is going to discuss because it seems from here is it's only they cannot demand, they cannot say we should come first, but it does imply though that we can come second. Right. We'll discuss this now. Uh, then that's exactly what the Gemara is going to point out. Midiktani from the fact again that we said that Rishona Kodemus Lishnia, right? That it says that the... For, we're now going to the... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to deal with the first half of the Mishnah. The first half of the Mishnah was both mortgages were intact. Why were both mortgages intact? Because the husband predeceased the wives. So it says over there that it says, Arishona Kodemus Lishnia. It says there's a precedent. Now, it means precede means that the right thing to do is who should go first? Right. The one with the early one should go first. Now, the Murah is Lushan over here. The Murah is Madaik. It says, it says over here, it doesn't say the first one collects, the second one does not. Right? That would be in a much more emphatic way of saying it. We have limited assets over here. The, to show the strength of this din would be first one collects, even though what results now is the second one is not able. That should the first one collects, the second one does not. It doesn't say that. It just says the first one precedes. Right? So one says like this: Look down and show Yesh It doesn't say the first one has, the second one does not. Michlal, we can infer the following, which is actually going to be a machlokus tanoyim, and the Gemara is going to say our mission seems to be following one of the sides. What happens if the second one seizes the assets prior? First one. So you have the second mortgage jump the first one. What is the halacha? So this is actually a machlokus. One opinion holds is that no, you can't jump. There's priority over here. First one's mortgage is stronger than mortgage A is stronger than mortgage B. Mortgage A comes first. Second one says yes, in terms of when you're doing things lechatchila, that's what should happen. But if mortgage B jumped and seized, then mortgage B gets it because they still have a mortgage. Now, the one who wants to be medayik from our Mishnah, the implication over here is, is that kodemus is mashma like alechatchila. The appropriate way to do it is give it to A over B. But what that implies though is if B jumped the gun, then you wouldn't take it away. You would let B hold on to it. That's the Gemara's implication. That's what the Gemara seems to, imp- let's say, the Mishnah seems to imply. So it's much more the second one jumped and seized. So then, no, we do not take it away from the, from, the, from, the, from the second mortgage, even though they had the later mortgage 
on the properties. And even though what might end up happening, because we're dealing with limited funds over here, limited assets, is that what? That there might not be anything available for the person, right? So there, but why? Because if in fact the second one was not able to do it, then the Mishnah should have been lechora more emphatic. What the Mishnah should not just say is kodemis precedes, it should have just said matmushtarka. It should say yeshlo, rishon yeshlo, shnia enlo. It doesn't say that language, it implies it le- does leave room for what? For Tvisa. So Shmami no, and that Lechorah then it goes directly to the Machlokas of the case of a Balchov. That if you have an earlier Balchov, both have IOUs on an, on an estate, and the first, the earlier Balchov has a, has a document that's dated earlier, later Balchov, if the later Balchov sees the assets, Prior to the earlier one, it's mashma what? Masha gava gava. What was seized is seized and considered to be a valid seizure. Based on the fact that in our mission it's mashma the same thing. That we allow the second one, not should be the lechatchila, but bidiyavit, the second one seized the assets over the first uh, uh, mortgage, the first ksuba, it would be considered binding. Somewhere it says, la'aylam, really I'll tell you, emalach, masha gava loy gava. That's not correct is that we, the Mishnah, could reflect the position that says that if a later Balchov grabs the assets before the earlier one, we don't say what was taken, taken, and based it, we'll take it away from the second Balchov, from the second creditor, Umay Kodemus, and when it says Kodemus, the language of Kodemus means precedes, means precedes completely, Lagamriktani. We got, you know, we're going to show you that sometimes the word kodem doesn't just mean a lechatchila, but it means absolute. Where do we see it? Because now we learned in the Mishnah. Mishnah of Abbasar is giving us the right, the hierarchy of, 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 of Yerusha. It says ben kodem. Use the same lotion. Ben kodem lebas. Now ben kodem lebas doesn't just mean, oh, that's the nice way to do it, or that's the lechatchila. If there's one son and one daughter, what's the halach when it comes to the Yerusha? Son gets it, and even if the girl seizes it, the halach is, it's given back to the son. Son gets it. So you see the word kodem doesn't just mean lechatchila. It means absolute. It has to be that way. So that's what it means over here. Even though it says that the first... Uh, 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 that if the second ksuva yorshim or, or the woman seized it before the first one, kodem, it means we would take it back because kodem, when it says that the first one is kodem, the second one is absolute, even though you, you could argue that's mashma lechatchila, but we see examples where it doesn't mean lechatchila, it means even it's the absolute right. Igad Amri, now we have the opposite version of the language of this Mishnah. It says like this, now, again, the focus over here is that when you teach the halacha, teach it with its maximum implications. So the Mishnah just said that if there are, in the first case, husband predeceased both wives, it says that the first ksuva, the first mortgage, kodemis, precedes the second one. Now, you wanted to teach me bang for your buck over here, what you could have written in there is, it says, it should have said, and if the second one seized it, what would be the halacha, right? Don't take it back. It doesn't tell me that. Why doesn't it tell me that? Because the chorah that implies that what? That that's not true. It's mashma is that it has to go to the first one, right? 
Yeah, and it cannot go to the second one, and therefore the fact is that uh, that uh, if, it, if if it, if the second one seized it and would have held on to it, that would have been the chiddush. You should have told me that. So the fact that never told me a greater chiddush that, and if the second one seizes it, we do not take it back. What is the implication? Is that kodemus is absolute, and even if the second one takes it, you would take it back. Which so that if the second one would seize it and right, we would take it away from her. Which means the according to the second version, the simple implication, the reading of our Mishnah, the implication is therefore that if you have a later IOU and an earlier IOU, and instead of following protocol, the second one jumped the gun and seized the assets before the first one, what he seized is not considered to be a valid seizure, and you would then take it back. That's the, that's the, uh, the outcome of the initial outcome of our Mishnah. What it says, no, really I'll tell you, is that it could be that a seizure is considered absolute and what the second one takes would be considered valid. And also, even though it says kodemes, it doesn't mean absolute, it means that the second suva does come before the first. Our kasha was, then why didn't we talk about a case of a second one seizing and telling her she can hold on to it if she actually can? That would have been a bigger chiddush. So why don't you say that? I'll tell you why. Because I did tanashniya, because even though, because since the, the, the later part of the Mishnah says that when you have a situation when it is the, 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 the wife predeceased the husband, the first wife died first, which means that her children only have it as been indifferent. And in the second, and then the father, the husband died, and only then the wife died, or the wife was still alive. In that case, we said that the second ksuva has, is stronger than the first ksuva. Now, in that case, you're going up been indifferent, which at most is only like a Yerusha. It's not considered to be like a Shiva, like a mortgage. So in that case, it goes to the second way. Now, that is absolute. There cannot, if the first ones would have seized it, there's not even a Shiloh. What would happen if they came and Season. For sure, the, 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 the shibut of the second one takes it away. So since there is no room to even discuss a seizure in the second half of the Mishnah, because there it's partial, we cannot be talking about where somebody jumped the gun and seized it, because there for sure they would lose. So since there was no aspect of seizure being discussed in the second half of the Mishnah, that's the reason why, to keep uh, uniformity, it did not discuss the concept of seizure in the first half. But the fact it didn't discuss it should not be brought as an implication that it doesn't help. It actually does help and therefore you have no raya from our Mishnah. So therefore, since it's in the second half of the Mishnah, it's written, the Yosher, Kodmin, the Yosher, Rishona, that her inheritors, or she actually, is, comes before the Yosher, Rishona, who already had their Shibut wiped out because the wife predeceased the husband in that case. So therefore, therefore all it taught was the Rishonas, Kodemus, Lashniah. And we did not talk about the situation if the Shniah seizes from the Rishona. We did not discuss that, even though that would have been a Chiddush. But we didn't want to give that Chiddush because of uniformity, because it doesn't apply in the second case. That's why they didn't have it. You can't bring me a Raya from the, the fact that it did not bring it down at all. So Gemara says like this. Now, we... Uh, 
the, the, the second half of the Mishnah, this gets really not to what Adam was asking me. The second half of the Mishnah was telling us that the rite of Ksuvus Ben which means after the mother predeceased the father and the father inherits, there still is a rabbinical rite that when the father dies, they are the first Yarshim. They Yarshim, you cut out that Chalik of the Yerusha to give to them. Right? We learned that that is, in the Mishnah we learned that even if their ksuba came first, it doesn't take, it doesn't, it doesn't preempt the, the right of the second ksuba, even at a later day ksuba, if that ksuba is not coming as ksuba has been different to be given to the Yarshim, if it's been given as a collection of the mortgage. How is it a collection of the mortgage? Because the father predeceased the wife in that case, then the wife or her children collect her ksuva as a mortgage, and that preempts the ksuvas benin dechren. That's what we learned. So, Gemara says, Shmaminot plus. There are three alochas that lechora could be learned from our Mishnah, and we're going to spend the rest of today's daf to see if, in fact, see what those three halochas are, and whether or not they stand up to scrutiny the implications that we're about to make. What are the three halochas we're going to learn here? So, we learn like this. The first one is as follows. Now, let me say say it outside, and then we'll see it inside. It's a little uh, intricate, complicated. Let me, let, let's try to make it as simple as possible. The classical case of when the rabbis instituted Ksuvus Ben was the case that I gave, that you had two wives. One, the dowry was a million dollars. The other one, the dowry was $100,000, right? And what happened was that these two wives predeceased the father, both wives, predeceased the father, which means the father now, that the, 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 the mortgage was wiped out. Why was the mortgage? Each one's mortgage was wiped out because upon their death, there's no more ksuva. The ksuva really gets swallowed up into the estate. And technically now, when the father dies, the estate should be split 50-50 with the arshim on either side. But the, the problem was, is that the, 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 the fathers would be reticent giving big Yerushas, if they knew that, what, a big dowries, if they know that the dowry they're giving is going to get split equally with children from another one. So therefore, Chachonim established that in the case that we had, first, kick out the million dollars, let them inherit, they inherit their mother's chalet. They inherit, their inheritance gets expanded based on the ksuva of the mother. Now it's rabbinical, because it shouldn't work that way. Yerusha should be equal, but no, it gets expanded. Whatever your mother, you inherit first, and then what's left gets split 50-50, right? That now. Our case is different, because our case, the two parties, the first one's coming because of ksuva's been indichrin. They want to get the mother's ksuva because even though technically there's no, morg- there's no mortgage left, there's no shibud, that they want to get it because of benedict takana. The second one, they're not coming because of Tzuvah's Ben They're coming and saying is, we have a right to our mother's Tzuvah, not because of some fancy rabbinical takana over here. Our right to our mother's Tzuvah is what? Is the Raisa, we are inheriting a, 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 the Yerusha of our mother because we inherit as a Yorish our father. Now, the question is, under that circumstance, and this is what you're asking, do we still go out and kick out Ksuvus Ben to the first one? Maybe the only time we do Ksuvus Ben is when both of them are coming with Ksuvus Ben So therefore, that everybody understand this is the fair way to divide it. But in this case, the second one, saying one second, it's not fair. We're not getting our mother's Ksuvah because of Ksuvus Ben 
Right? Ksuv ben Dichrin right now is only going to be helping the first one. It's not helping both parties over here because our right to our father's assets was as a shibud. And therefore, they're claiming this should not be a scenario of Ksuvah's ben Dichrin. The law of Ksuvah's ben Dichrin should be wiped out over here. And what should end up happening, the second set of Yorshim should collect as creditors, they should collect from the estate. And then whatever's left, how, that, how should that be divided? Equally, Equally with ignoring So the question is which, so our Mishnah is mashma, the language of our Mishnah, the Gemara wants to say, is mashma that no, is that there still will be even though the second set are not getting it, there will be. Because it said that the Shibud of the second one comes before the Yorshim of the first wife. It's Mashman only comes before, but if there is enough left over to pay them out, the Ksuvah's been in what's going to be the rule? You do give them the Ksuvah's been in so Mashman, that even in this case, the law of Ksuvah's been in that's the first Giyuk the Mora wants to make. So one says like this, Shmami Natwa, Shmami no, Achaz Bechayev, Achaz Bemosom. When a man had two wives and one died during his lifetime, i.e., that was the Ksuva one that the man inherited, and one died only after he died, which means that he died first and that her Ksuva activated, her Shibut activated, her children collected as a Ksuva, still, the first wife's uh, the first wife's children still will be able to, even though they no longer are considered a first but they still are able to come in and collect their ksuvas bin dechrin. And we don't worry about that there's going to be a huge fight. Why is there grounds that there could be a huge fight? Because the second ones are saying, one second, we're not getting it as ksuvas bin dechrin, so why should you get as ksuvas bin dechrin? We're getting it because we have an active ksuva, so therefore we're not worried about it, and we still allow the first ones to get the ksuvas bin dechrin. How do you see that from our Mishnah? Because the language of the Mishnah is that the second wife, if she's still alive, or her Yorshim, if she dies after the death of her husband, it says, they come before, who do they come before? The Yorshim of the first one. They come before her. That means they only come before, but there still will be Yorshim of the first ones, that they have a right to inherit. What are they inheriting specifically? L'chorah. They're inheriting their mother's ksuva. So they come before them, but it's mashma, there's still room for them to inherit. L'chorah. So therefore, we're only giving uh, priority, we're only giving precedence to the second set of Yorshim over the first one. But ha'ika, but if there is enough for there to be a ksuvas ben dechrin lechoram. Shekuli shakla, shakli, they will collect. So that's the first rule that's being taught here. The second rule being taught here, also listen outside and then we'll see it inside. The second rule that's being taught here is the following. There is a very interesting halacha over here. Let's say the estate uh, was only a million dollars. That was what was left over. The first ksuva was $900,000. The second ksuva was $100,000. And the case was where the both wives predeceased the husband, and then the husband died. Now, there's a mistake for a million dollars. The problem is, though, if you apply the law of ksuvas ben dichrin over here, that the first group yarshin, the 900,000, the second group yarshin, the 100,000, the Torah halacha of Yerusha will be eradicated. 
Right? Because the Torah mandates that each one collects me Torah, let's say there's two sons, 500,000 and 500,000. The older daughter was a daughter, not a, not a son. So it was a, the oldest child. So now, it should go 505. And now, by saying it's 901, you pretty much have now wiped out the Torah halacha. So the Chachamim said that the din of Ksuvas Bnein Dichrin, in its classical sense, only applies is that after you kick out the Ksuvas Bnein Dichrin, there's at least one dinar left of the Yerusha. Because if there's one dinar left of the Yerusha, and now you can split that dinar, you still fulfilled the mitzvah of Yerusha was still fulfilled, and the rabbinical rule of Yerusha did not circumvent the Daraisa din of Yerusha. With me, everybody with me on that? Now, let's speak about our case. Our case said that we are going to kick in the rule of but just what has to happen first is that the Yarshim of the second woman, they're taking their money from the estate. Now that's clearly not Yerusha, right? Their right to collect it is not coming from Yerusha. What's their right to collect it? It's like, it's like an IOU. It's, it's a Ksuva. They're collecting it as a Ksuva. So they've collected it as a Ksuva. That's, been, that, that's being collected as a, as a, like a payment it's like the estate is obligated to pay off its creditors. That's the way it's viewed. Now, what's left, right, if there's anything left, is given over as ksuvas brindichrin, right? We understood. He says, the chorah, why is there no requirement that there be a dinar left? Before we say that you can kick in ksuvas brindichrin. Why is that? Not? I'll tell you why. Because you could look at this, interestingly, you could look at it that, let's say the first... The first ksuva was worth uh, hundred uh, was nine hundred thousand dollars. The second ksuva is worth hundred thousand dollars. Let's say we looked at it that way, and there's only a million. So you paid off hundred thousand dollars. The estate paid off hundred thousand dollars, and now the nine hundred thousand gone. Aye, there's nothing left. There's no dinar. No, it's not. You don't need a dinar in this case. Why? Because think about it. The estate is required to pay off the debts of the father, ksuva is being one of those things. So therefore, it, it, the way it works is, the Yarshim did Yarshim. The mitzvah the rise of Yerusha was accomplished. What, how was it accomplished? Because the estate inherited the $100,000, inherited equally, they ended, but equally they had a responsibility to pay off the ksuva. So therefore, you could argue, even though at the end there's not going to be that 100,000 left, but it's as if it was inherited, the mitzvah deraisa was fulfilled, and now they paid off the credit. So in this case, now the remaining 900,000, even though it circumvents the laws of Yerusha, because really it shouldn't be nine, should be 450 and 450, the law of ksuvah's benindah can kick in that they get the full 900,000 if there's a 900,000 to be made. They can get it. Why? I, what happened to the law of Yerusha? It's as if the law of Yerusha was fulfilled. Where was the law of Yerusha fulfilled? Because it's the Yerusha that paid off the creditor, so that's when it was, that's as if it was fulfilled. That's the second rule that's being, a, otherwise you should say no, there should be a dinar left. We don't see that we require a dinar left over. So when says, Shema Mino, second rule over here is, is that Ksuva Naz is Moisul Chaverta, that the Ksuva that is being paid off, i.e. that the Ksuva of the second wife is considered the addition, that's considered like the extra dinar, to the Ksuvas Ben and even though the Ksuvas Ben is going to wipe out any balance, even if it's wiping out any balance of what's left, 
you can still pay it off because we look at the ksuva of the first one as being the dinar. I, it's not going to be left at the end to be divided up. It doesn't have to be. Why doesn't it have to be? Because it's as if it was divided and jointly they paid off the debtor. Now it happens to be the debtor, in the, uh, they paid off the creditor. It happens to be the creditor in this case are the children of the second one. Right? So like it goes from being a Yerusha to paying off a debt. Mimai, how do we know that? Because it doesn't say that you pay the Ksuvas Benendichrin only if after everything there's going to be a leftover dinner. It's you don't need after everything leftover dinner. Aye, so what functions as the leftover dinner? What functions are leftover dinner? What's that? The, what? Where? Where is the Yerusha? The, 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 the payment of the first Ksuva is considered like the Yerusha, right? And Shmami, no. The third one is like this. We also see the nature of Tzuz ben When Chachamim established that the children of the mother are able to collect as the first collection of Yerusha from the estate, we see they only allowed them to be like a Yorish. They didn't create a Shebut on the property for that. What's the proof they didn't create a Shebut on the property? Because if a shebud on the property was collected, that means that they would be able to go back to the second brothers and take. So therefore, but it's not said. It said the second brothers come first and they can only get from what's left. But if they had a shebud was created by Ksuzbin and Dichrin, the nation could be able to go to the second brothers and say, we come first. You see that when Chacham is said it was not given a shebud. It was not done with a shebud. It was done more as a Yerusha. It wasn't done as a, as, as, as giving of them as a shebudim. So Shmamina, Ksuzbin and Dichrin, Loitar from Mimshabdi, cannot collect from a Shabbatim. These are the diet of Shabbatim because if they actually could collect from a Shabbatim, so then, Lesu Bash Bnei Rishon, then the first ones who came first should be able to go to Avril of Neishni, or should be able to collect from the second ones, even though they got an open ksuva. But we have a shibud based on ksuva. We see they don't have such a shibud. No shibud is created. So those are three halachas that were taught. Comes along, Maskele Ravashi. Ravashi says, I disagree. Two out of the three is going to challenge. First of all, Mimai. How do you know, the first thing you wanted to say is that even if they're not, both parties are not collecting Suvs and Dichrin, the second ones are getting it because of the Shibud, we're still going to allow the first ones to collect and we're not worried about fighting. Why? What was your raya? Because it says that this, the first ones come before the second ones. Our we implied comes before, but if there's enough left over, we'll still give the Suvs and Dichrin, right? That's what you want to imply. Our case, where one died when the husband was still alive, which means that shebud got wiped out. And the second one died, the husband predeceased the second one, which means that shebud is still active. Maybe in such a case, there's no ksuvah bin dichrin, because ksuvah bin dichrin only applies when both parties are getting ksuvah bin dichrin. My code mean I does say that the second one comes before. What does it mean? Code means they come before in terms of inheritance. They come, they collect first their shibud, and then the rest means is divided as inheritance. Not that the rest, we say, goes for ksuvas ben All comes before means, what does come before means? Means they have a right to collect it as a shibud before we go and give what's left as an inheritance to both sides, but not that we're going to kick in Suvs and Dichrin under certain such and such. Now, the Gemara is asking Gavaldi Gakasha, if you're telling me all it means is first take care of the Shibud, Suvah's second one, and then what's left is an Achla, then you should have just said 
why does it say uh, come, they come before the Yarshim of the first wife? Why are you mentioning the fact that they're Yarshim of the first wife? Just, you should just say is that the Ksuvah has been different codemen. I'm not so different. I mean, the, the uh, Shibud of the second one comes first. Why do you write it comes before, before the Yarshim of the first wife? The implication of that you're talking about the Yarshim of the first wife. What are the Yarshim of the first wife? The only Yarshim of the first wife for one thing. Right. So using that, you're, you're, you're alluding to the fact that they should be getting, because it says they come before the Yarshim of the first wife. They might be, they come before the Ksuvah's been different, but it's might be still good. Not that they come before you divide up the Nachla. That's not what's mashma over here. The Chitam, Yarshim, Yishon, why are you referring to them as the Yarshim of the first wife? Someone said, that's not such a kasha. Because since you're referring to the second set as Yarshim of the second wife, so then you're also referring to the first one as Yarshim of the first wife. But it doesn't mean that they have a right to collect Susan After the Shebut for the Ksuva has been satisfied, whatever's left then at that point is what? It's going to be divided 50-50, and we don't kick in in that case. So I did Tanishniya of the Yarshim, Taninami the Yarshim That's why also he called them the Yarshim Rishona, even though they will not be Susan Dichrin. That's knocks out. At least the proof they want to bring from the Mishnah for the the the, the, the first halacha. The second halacha was is that you don't need the extra dinar. Why? What was the proof? Because I never said there had to be an extra dinar. So what's functioning as the extra dinar? The fact that you're using it to pay off the debt of the tsuva. It's as if they inherit the Torah inheritance was accomplished, and now you're using it to pay off. So you don't need the extra dinar under such a circumstance. Sigmar says like this. Sigmar says with the kambar the tsuva nasis mosul chaverta that the first tsuva can be viewed as what's the balance of what's left over to allow the second one to pay off the tsuva's bein right? And you don't need the extra dinar. Maybe I'll tell you. No, you cannot look at it that way. It means you don't look at it, we inherit, and then we kick out. One, you kicked out, but there was no inheritance. So even in this case, if there's not going to be a dinar left over, you have no right to go out and pay. Why are we allowed to do this in this particular situation? Because we're talking about that the estate was big enough that even though I never mentioned it, but that's understood, there has to be the extra dinar, because that's the aloha. Before you can kick in, Ksuvah's been indifferent to the first heirs, there has to be an extra dinar. And we don't look at the second Ksuva as if that was the extra dinar. So you can't bring your raya on that. So basically, two out of the three Shmaminas, uh, we've said that are not necessarily valid, right? That one we know. The only one they didn't argue with was the one that says that Tarapikna's been different to not collect from Meshubadim. Now, says the Gemara like this that this din of Achaz Bechayv, Achaz Bemoso, our case, when one wife died when the husband was still alive, wiping out the ksuva, second, and only activating ksuva in Dichrin when he dies, and the second one, that he died before the wife, activating the ksuva, do we say there's going to be ksuva in Dichrin in such a situation, because not bo- both parties are not coming because of ksuva in Dichrin. The second one are not coming that they can collect with ksuva in Dichrin. They're coming to collect because they have... A, 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 an open, outstanding suva mortgage, where it says he actually is a machlokis tanoim. The sign we learned in so our case, meisu achas First wife died, husband was still alive. Meisu achas Second one uh, died only after the first husband had died, and then when the first husband died, the suva became activated. Right. So therefore, in such a case, what's the din? So we'd say like this. 
Ben uh, Benanas Oimer Yecholim Bnei Arishon Olomar Bnei Ashnia is that the first children can say to the second children, right? Bnei Balas Chov Atem. He said, "Listen, you guys are a Bal Chov, right? You're like creditors. Take from the estate and." Take your 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 pay, where the state's paying you off, and 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 lechora otu and go away. Now lechora we're going to see then and and what and then what's left we should be able to use for what for our comes along Rabbi No, the inheritance has jumped away. Means has jumped away from the first one's children. Lechora means they cannot collect. What is the argument over here? What do they seem to be arguing about over here? It falls only to the second one to collect for their ksuva, which is coming as a shibud for the ksuva. So my love, what they argue about is this very din. The Mar Savar, according to Tanakama, they can say, you collect your ksuva, and what's left over, we'll collect for our mother's ksuva for the ksuva v'indichrin. The Mar Savar, the Akiva Taka holds, is once since they're both not coming so then, it's the estate has jumped away from them. They cannot collect them. There's nothing left over. There's going to be nothing left over. You cannot collect them. Whatever's going to be left over is going to be divided 50 50 because there is no more. So the Chairo, what they're arguing about is Mamish this din, whether there's under that circumstance. I'm a rabbi. I found that the, the, in the yeshiva they were saying over the machlokas of Tanakam and Rabbi Akiva that we just brought down, right? And, the, 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 and they said the following, Everybody holds, there is a concept of Susman Dichrin. And they were arguing about the second point. We're talking about over here, there wasn't the extra dinar, and can we count the ksuva... All right. As the as the, let's just finish up. Then so can we count that extra the ksuva of the second one can count for the the first one. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't have to be that it was the ksuva that was outstanding. It could even be a creditor. Let's say there was a creditor that the estate had to pay. That could also be counted as a Yerusha that kicked it out as the extra dinar. That's what Kamiflagi. That the ksuva of the second one does count, or the ba- the creditor's payment does count. And same thing by Balchov. No, if they're both not getting a Susan Dichrin, then you cannot, uh, uh, um, you, I'm sorry, you, and you don't count that it's as if the Arusha was gotten kicked out. It doesn't work that way, and there is not considered to be an extra dinner. And who had dinner, the same thing would be Balchov. And I said to them, A Balchov, that's clearly, you inherited it, now you have to go pay off the father's debts. But keep leaky by ksuva, they still argue. By ksuva, why? Because by ksuva, there you could argue it didn't, it's not like we're paying off the father's debts. It automatically belongs to the second group, and you cannot count that as the extra dinar. That is where the machlokas is. So we'll, we'll, we'll stop over here, gentlemen. We'll continue with this. Please go tomorrow.